Happy holidays, movie friends. Welcome back to Raiders of the Lost Podcast. I'm Anthony. And I'm James, and this is episode 43. We're going to be doing Christmas movies. In this episode, we'll cover Elf, Home Alone, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Nightmare Before Christmas, Bad Santa, A Christmas Story, and The Santa Claus. We might be a little bit early, but we love these movies, and we want to give you guys content to look over for over during the holiday season, so... We were like, let's just do the Christmas episode. I think we're right on time because, I yeah. mean, why drop it on the day of Christmas? Give everyone a chance to watch these and enjoy these movies throughout the month, you know? Yeah, because this is when you're watching the movies on television or on whatever streaming service you have. You're in the mood for two weeks before Christmas. I mean, isn't that a funny thing to say, watching these on television back in the day? Yeah. No, one, no one's doing that anymore. ABC it's all, Family. It's all on streaming right now. But I love Christmas movies. I love holiday movies in general. But these are some of our favorites. If there's a few on there that you love that aren't didn't make the list, it's no big deal. These are just our personal favorites, like when it comes the holiday season these are the ones that we're putting on throughout the month of november and december obviously this episode of raiders of the lost podcast is brought to you by our friends at moviepoasters.com use coupon code raiders 15 to get 15 percent off your order today perfect in time for the holiday season in these 11 by 17 posters you're seeing on the walls they sell these at movie posters for just ten dollars a pop use our coupon code minus 15 percent you're paying 850 for a movie poster come on that's a great price it's an insane deal Use that coupon code for the holiday season. This episode is also brought to you by Manscaped. The holiday season is here, and now is the perfect time to get your gifts for the men in your life from manscaped.com. Avoid those long lines and COVID restrictions in stores. Get 20% off and free shipping on your entire order with our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout. Again, again, at manscaped.com, use coupon code Raiders of the Lost to get 20% off and free shipping on your entire order. Great deal. The best thing you can do to support our podcast is to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Leaving those five-star reviews is super helpful, especially those written reviews. We actually have a contest right now for anyone who leaves a written five-star review, uses the hashtag I Love Movies, gets entered into a contest to be a guest on the show. Who wouldn't want to be a guest on our show? Hurry up, enter that contest, and leave a five-star written review. Tell everyone what you love about the show, hashtag I Love Movies, so we know you entered the contest. Good luck, everyone. And we also have Patreon where you can support us monthly with a $2, $5, $10 donation. Patrons get perks like personalized videos, messages, and sneak peek behind movies as well as a monthly shout out on the podcast. First up, we have Elf, which was released November 7th in 2003. Wow, we're old. Directed by John Favreau, written by David Barenbaum. This film stars Will Ferrell, James Caan, Bob Newhart, Edward Asner, and Zoe Deschanel. The film grossed $220 million on a budget of $33 million. Buddy was accidentally transported to the North Pole as a toddler raised into adulthood among Santa's elves. Unable to shake the feeling that he doesn't fit in, the, el- the adult Buddy travels to New York in full elf uniform in search of his real father. As it happens, this is Walter Hobbs, a cynical businessman. After a DNA test proves this, Walter reluctantly attempts to start a relationship with the childlike Buddy with increasingly chaotic results. Elf is hands down one of my favorite Christmas movies of all time. It's hysterical. It's full of heart. It's sharply written. It's very witty. It should be near the top of your list for sure if you're listening to this um, of movies to watch every holiday season. And I think this was a career-making role for Will Ferrell because he was just coming off leaving SNL in 2002, the year before, which a lot of comedians fail at making like prolonged uh, successful careers afterwards. I mean, obviously they're in film. Yeah, in film specifically. A lot of these hilarious comedic actors on SNL they really just go off to do like side characters maybe a TV show here and there but a lot of them don't get big breaks and make it as successful as Will Ferrell who's easily one of the best all time coming from SNL in terms of like being a veteran member doing multiple seasons he's up there with like Adam Sandler Chris Rock Bill Murray Eddie Murphy Dan Aykroyd obviously Robert Downey Jr. he was on SNL but really for one year so I don't really count him on that list and same thing with Bill Murray. Yeah, and Ben Stiller, he left after only four episodes, so I don't really count those guys because they had such a short run on SNL, even though their careers are incredibly successful. This film came out the same year as Old School, so Will Ferrell had two fantastic, successful movies that couldn't be more different from each other, which also showed his range as a comedic actor to do adult, uh, raunchy humor with Old School, and then to do a family-friendly, charming, uh, naive uh, character with Elf, and... Before this, he had just done Mugatu and Zoolander. That was his major film role because The Night at the Roxbury, no one really saw that one. So I think Mugatu was his first major break. And then I think 2003 with Elf and Old School 
it catapulted Will Ferrell into stardom. He had a lot of different audiences that year because we were also like really into the raunchy, like dark and dirty humor. And oh, old yeah. school is hysterical. We're going streaking. <laughs> going up through the quad, through the gymnasium. Hey, you bring your Snoop, Snoop a loop, bring your green hat. <laughs> and so this is also a huge role for Zoe De Chanel, who he wasn't really a big star yet at the time. And also Peter Dinklage in this movie mm-hmm. before he was uh Tyrion Lannister on um, Game of, of Throners. And <laughs> <laughs> and so this was a huge role for them too as well, getting to mainstream audiences and getting their faces seen. Yeah, and Zoe Deschanel, I think she's naturally a blonde, and so you see her with blonde hair and without bangs in this movie, which is much different from her now typical look when you see Deschanel dark hair with bangs and we're used to. And she's also very depressive and, and negative in this movie, <laughs> which is also a, a far stray from the usual character she ne- plays nowadays, especially like, obviously she's, she's known most iconically for 500 Days of Summer. And New Girl. And then New Girl too. And yeah. she's, she's hysterical in New Girl too. Yeah, she's so, very funny. So she's a really great comedic actress and she, she doesn't do a ton of comedic acting in this movie. She's more of like that like love interest, but also kind of represents the spirit of of people during the Christmas season when their when their belief in Santa Claus and everything is low, so yeah. that that's like kind of what she represents throughout the film. But she's still very effective in this movie. And this is John Favreau's directorial debut. He had been a writer. He wrote a couple of movies that he had starred in, like Swingers and Made. Ben uh, Vaughn also starred in both of those, but he hadn't directed yet. And so this was his first uh, directing job, and it couldn't be a better debut for a director for what he ended up doing as a career because it showed Favreau's innate ability to to tell stories for all audiences, no matter what the age, uh, no matter the demographic. Uh, his, his movies can be seen by anyone, and I think that became uh, a testament to his filmmaking, When you're, whether it's Iron Man or The Jungle Book or The Lion King. Uh, his movies um, transcend audiences, and anyone can enjoy them. Yeah, and he did a great job with this movie. One of my favorite parts of the entire film is the production design, especially in the first act with Buddy in the North Pole. I think the sets are fantastic. They're they're really cool and creative and fun. But also, Favreau was very clever about the way he filmed this in terms of how do you make a person, like especially a tall person like Will Ferrell, seem like a giant among normal-sized actors and make the, the actors look like elves and very, very short, all in the same shot, all in camera practically. And he did this with uh, a technique called forced perspective where that he would often put him and Santa Claus when they're on camera, when Buddy and Santa Claus are on camera with the elves in the background or in the same shot, he would put Buddy or Santa Claus close to the camera and raised and then they're in the foreground of the, of the shot and then the way you the the way you um position the camera and the type of lens you use it makes them seem like they're actually standing next to each other and really they're about like five to ten feet apart from each other this was effective because it made buddy and santa claus seem like human beings and much larger than the elves in the shots yeah and they use the same kind of force perspective optical illusion for the lord of the rings films with peter jackson filming with gandalf when he's ever with the hobbits inside or they're, they're always filming in camera, um, and it's just forced perspective, how you position the camera, and also lots of light. You have to shoot with a lot of light in, in order to allow both the actors who are close to the camera and the actors who are fur- further away to all be in focus with the lens, so tons of light was used on set, I'm sure. And in the scenes where, like, Buddy is in the same, like, position with another elf, like, for example, when he's riding that tricycle with Papa Elf, what ha- with the way they filmed that is, is Buddy's in the front of the tricycle. There's a, s- a small uh, adult, or I think it was even a-, a child, whose legs and arms are showing. And then behind the kid is the actor who's playing Papa Elf, and, it- Elf and his head is just sticking out. So it gives the illusion that there's a normal person-sized head and then just smaller body parts on the scene, too. This episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast is also brought to you by Manscaped, the leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your comfort, obsesses over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. They've sent us their performance packages, which features their amazing lawnmower groomer, which has a flashlight. It's waterproof. It's the best clipper groomer I've ever used in my entire life. I highly, highly recommend getting this for someone in your life. Use coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout. Again, Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping on your order from manscaped.com. It's a great gift for the men in your life. Husbands, brothers, boyfriends, friends, cousins, uncles, aunts, fathers. <laughs> aunts, I don't know why I said that. But um, this is the great gift for men. Anyone would be ecstatic to get something from manscaped.com. This is something we actually need and will use. I guarantee it. Again, Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off your order and free shipping. John Favreau also used a lot of old school filmmaking techniques in terms of the animation because this film was made when CGI was uh, uh, doing really well and you can make images and creatures believable on screen. But uh, as a calling card to the Christmas movies that he grew up with, 
he preferred to use stop motion along mixed with the live action footage in terms of that the snowman that he speaks to and then the whale that says goodbye to him. Those are stop motion animation creations and he did that to make it feel like an older style Christmas movie. And what makes Elf so Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline good i think is it's it's just so pure and innocent and not many christmas films are able to really actually capture that christmas spirit no matter how hard they try and buddy the elf he's the perfect character to symbolize both christmas spirit and innocence because he's basically a sinless character his only flaw is really just how ignorant he is to the world around him like Mm -hmm. he has no idea how the world actually operates because he grew up as an elf in the north pole and so otherwise he has a heart of pure joy he wants to hug everybody he meets he wants to be best friends with everybody he meets he loves to sing and he just wants to spread christmas cheer everywhere while getting to know his father yeah it's pretty similar to dostoevsky's book the idiot where you just have this naive person who doesn't understand how the the real world works in a way because he grew up in uh, the north pole walter his father is a scrooge type character and most of the most of the people that he interacts with and has relationships with they They've lost their Christmas spirit. They've lost their belief in Santa Claus. And and he's his character transforms everyone just because of his goodness and and his uh and his outgoing personality and his charm and naivety and and his pure innocence and it, and it's infectious and he changes everyone through the process. Yeah, even his half brother, but obviously the mother, she's she's actually so welcoming of Buddy. Like you would you wouldn't expect like if you were a, a wife and you found out that you're your husband had some kid with some other woman years ago and he shows up at your doorstep dressed as an elf costume like you might be a little nuts. But I think she's she's a very motherly person and understanding because she realized that from their perspective, he's going through some sort of mental health crisis. And like mm-hmm. even even the doctor who plays who's played by John Favreau, the director, he says he like he just needs to get to know you. and He just he needs to like shake this this elf thing because they really don't understand that he's actually from the North Pole. I love his journey to the the real world where he's just like traveling through the forest and then he winds up like in New York. Oh, bye, buddy. Bye, buddy. <laughs> and the and raccoon, then he gets, the he, raccoon in yeah, the beginning. Yeah, he gets in the fight with the raccoon. He's like, somebody needs a hug. <laughs> and then um, the first thing he does in the city is what Santa told him not to do is not to touch the gum. <laughs> it's not <laughs> free candy. <laughs> Congratulations, you did it. World's best cup of coffee. <laughs> It's just an example that he has no idea where he is or how the world works. He's, it's like the ultimate fish out of water story, but it's just very fun. And the concept is really genius because before this, we had the Grinch in 2000. So that was our big uh, Christmas blockbuster that in that millennium so far in the 21st century. But aside from that, you know, it's hard to come up with an original Christmas idea. And this really knocked out of the part in terms of originality. Yeah, and I think Christmas movies that don't have Santa as the, the lead uh, work really well. And Buddy is obviously a work of fiction, and it's not a historical character. And I think that's why it works so well because it's a completely new story. But it takes all of the all of the ideas and themes that we already know and love, like Christmas and like Santa Claus and the North Pole, and it puts a new spin on it. And Jim Carrey almost got the role but turned it down. What happened was he he was originally cast in the early '90s, but the the film never got up and running, and they never got the funding, so it was scrapped. And then he did 
Ace Ventura and The Mask and all those movies, and obviously he became too big of a star. And then they got Will Ferrell because he was coming hot off of old school in SNL. Yeah, I'm sure it would have worked too. I think Jim's probably the most talented comedic actor to ever live and ever do it. But this role, it might not have worked for him in terms of of the way that Will did it in this like innocent, childlike way. But I'm sure Jim Carrey would have done it completely different than Will Ferrell. I'm super curious to see how it would have gone though. I bet he would have been a little bit more mischievous and like because he's he has that quality to him, that like dark quality that he makes funny. Yeah, he's not he doesn't do childlike very well. But mm-hmm. again, he's like the greatest comedic actor to ever live in. This episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast is brought to you by our friends at MoviePosters.com. Use coupon code Raiders15 to get 15% off your order today. MoviePosters.com is the number one site to get your movie posters and has been for years, and it's the perfect time right now, the holiday season. If you have any movie people in your life that you need to get gifts for, go to MoviePosters.com. Use our coupon code Raiders15 to get 15% off. Again, these 11 by 17 movie posters, these are $10 a pop on MoviePosters.com using that coupon code. You're talking about $8.50 for an awesome gift for somebody? It makes a great present for the holidays yeah but they have a ton of other designs larger posters they have original designs framing backlight canvas even plaque designs a bunch of original uh drawings and artists have posters on that site so check it out movieposters.com his father walter he couldn't be more opposite than than buddy and they, they can't be more counter characters he's he's full of cynicism he's He's greedy. He doesn't even care about the book that he's working on. He doesn't even bother to finish it, even though there are blank pages at the end, which doesn't even reveal the ending, which kind of shows his hope and spirit, not just in Christmas, but kind of like in life is gone. And all he cares about is just making money and just paying the bills and like and living his life successful. Yeah, and he, he puts work in his career before his family, and then that's clearly waning on, on, his, on his wife and his son, and he's never at home anymore. And the work he does, like you said, ironically, he makes... He runs a company that makes children's books, but he barely gives a, He barely cares about the message he's putting into the books. He's just trying to turn out as many as he, as he can to make a better quarter than last quarter. So he is very much driven by career and by money, and, and less so by, by family and the things that really matter. And that's what Buddy brings into his life, makes him realize. Yeah, he does this, Buddy does the same thing with Zoe Deschanel's character, where you know she's also very cynical in the world. And again, she's kind of like a reflection, or they both are a reflection of the city and the loss of, of spirit and the loss of hope and the disbelief in Santa Claus. And it's up to Buddy to bring the, the belief back into all these people, but all, at the same time, he's bettering their lives. And again, he's a sinless character. The only thing he does wrong, you could say, is that he, he beats up a bunch of kids with a snowball fight. Like That's the only <laughs> thing he does wrong. And... Aside from that, he's very pure. Even he he wins the charm of of the 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 the, the hardcore guys in the mail room, and yeah. they, they drink what he thinks is maple syrup, or or, or what? <laughs> he drinks the liquor. And so, like, Buddy is just so pure that he, he's and he's infectious that he helps transform all the characters and ends up at the end saving the day and bringing Christmas spirit and belief back into the city. Yeah, and his his strength is that is his love and devotion of the holiday, and not just in terms of giving presents and making decorations, but in what the holiday means. And it means spreading joy and love and, and good cheer to uh, across the world to every person you can. And that's what he does. And, and he's, it's really cute scenes. Like when he redecorates the department store, when um, he goes on that date with uh, Jovi. So he's any, he, he shows his purity and his sincerity and uh, he like wears his heart on his sleeve and, I think that at first he seems like he's a crazy person to everyone, but the more time they spend with him, they realize that he's just a, a, a the most kind-hearted person they've ever met. And I love Elf. It's one of my favorite holiday movies, but I think it does lose a little bit of its momentum towards the third act. It's kind of like like the way Buddy just houses candy. Like He's so excited. The first 30 minutes of this film, I am jacked, and I'm <laughs> laughing, and it's, it's so fun. But I feel like towards the end, I'm kind of crashing a little bit, and it just slows down a little bit, but I still, I still love the ending. I still love the entire film in general. Yeah, I think my favorite part would probably be the breakfast he makes for everyone with the spaghetti <laughs> and all the candy and the maple syrup. <laughs> he's like, Dad, how many scoops you want? <laughs> and he says, not for me. He goes like... <laughs> he shakes the extra sketcher. He's like... <laughs> and he puts it in a Ziploc bag for the mom. <laughs> Do you like and sugar? Out and to lunch. Do you like sugar? Is there sugar in maple syrup? <laughs> yeah. Then yes. <laughs> That's what I mean. The first 35 minutes of this movie, I can't stop laughing the entire time. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this obviously was Will Ferrell's big breakout and showed that. He can pretty much do anything to make you laugh. And carry an entire movie himself. Because mm-hmm. again, old school, he's great, but he's not the lead. And he's like yeah. really the third character in that movie. You're right, yeah. And fun fact about this film, Peter Billingsley, who's the 
who plays Ralphie in a Christmas story. He's actually in Elf. He plays the head elf in the Christmas trees in the Christmas toy shop where Buddy works in the beginning of the film. He's the one with the glasses who inspects his toys. That's Peter Billingsley, and he's actually good friends with Favreau and Vince Vaughn. Oh, he's cool. actually a producer now, and he actually is one of those rare exceptions that of child stars. Because I mean, obviously, finding success in the industry. Yeah, yeah and he's uh, he's actually a very good producer, and and uh, he's done a bunch of TV shows, and he actually produced Iron Man. Oh no way! Making that Iron Man money, EP. Next up, we have Home Alone, which was released on November sixteenth, in nineteen ninety. Directed by Chris Columbus, written by John Hughes. This film stars Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, and Daniel Stern. It had a budget of $18 million and a worldwide box office of $476 million, which for adjusted for inflation is about $520 million right now. When bratty eight-year-old Kevin McAllister acts out the night before a family trip to Paris, his mother makes him sleep in the attic. After the McAllisters mistakenly leave for the airport without Kevin, he wakens to an empty house and assumes that his wish he made the night before that his family be gone has come true. But his excitement sours when he realizes that two con men plan to rob the McAllister residence and that he alone must protect the family home. This is a, easily one of the best Christmas movies of all time. And, I mean, it's an essential thing when it's the holiday season to watch Home Alone. Between the story and John Williams' music and Macaulay Colgan, and it's just a, a fantastic movie uh, for the holiday season. Yeah, I think this is the most fun we probably ever had watching a movie as a kid because... It, this takes the cake. You know, Kevin is literally living out the dream that every kid has when they're, you know, we grew up in a big family. There was noise and running around. We were the youngest of six boys, so we were always picked on and beat up. And so, like, <laughs> no one cared about us. And we're twins, so we're already half-human subspecies to everybody in the family. So we only, we only get treated with, like, half-personality. So, like, I always wish that, like, my family would disappear at times or I could have the house to myself because I think maybe once by the time I was, like, 12, I had the home home alone and obviously you do what kevin does you eat ice cream you watch movies that you're not supposed to watch you you hang out in your parents bed which is huge and comfortable and you just get up into trouble that you would otherwise otherwise be scolded for yeah you're right i i absolutely related to this movie because of the our house was chaos and it you sometimes you were the annoying one and oftentimes it was either me or you we were the annoying brother and it was hard to get the attention of your parents because there's so many of us and and i think that we dealt with a lot of things that kevin deals with in this movie I know Besides it, being upper class, because that house is huge. That's a giant house, yeah. What do they do for a living? <laughs> <laughs> we never got that. <laughs> and then this movie, it it so it first it puts the, the kid as the center of the movie on his own. The, and this kid is put up against two criminals. And it's like it's this David versus Goliath, but it ends up being... Kevin's really the Goliath, and the other two have, are way in way over their heads. <laughs> and this is still the highest-grossing Christmas film of all time, adjusted for inflation, still outdoing The Grinch from 2018, which was actually very successful. I think it made like $510 million, but adjusted for inflation, Home Alone still beats it. Mm -hmm. And after its release, Home Alone became the highest-grossing live-action comedy film in the United States and held that record worldwide until it was taken over by The Hangover Part 2 in 2011. So this was an incredibly successful movie, and obviously people obviously don't remember it because this came out in 1990. We watched it on VHS. That um, Macaulay Culkin was a superstar. He was a worldwide global icon. This guy was in commercials with Michael Jackson and Michael Jordan. He was every kid's icon, mm -hmm. and that's probably because you know it was the 90s, and there was not a ton of movies coming out as many as many as today, obviously, and no social media, no internet. So like, there was like one child star, and Macaulay Culkin was on top of the world. This guy was a, this kid was a global icon. Yeah, it was like he was all the kids from Stranger Things put into one person. That's Even how more. famous he was. Even more, dude. Yeah, and then he was also Richie Rich, which we loved as kids. That was a, a, a that was an awesome movie too. And so yeah, he he dominated the '90s popular culture for for young people. And he he was like the the actor like you you wished you were him. You know what I mean? He was like the coolest kid. This is also one of Chris Columbus's early films that he directed. I think it's his third directed film. But he. Chris Columbus like Favreau, but Columbus more so has a knack for, for crafting stories for kids, with kids as the lead. And he's had experience because he wrote The Goonies, he wrote Gremlins, and he also directed the first two Harry Potter films. He finds a way to, to really reach kids in, in a successful and well-crafted way. And his his movies can be enjoyed by everyone. Yeah, him and John Hughes, because Chris Columbus, again, is such a great director. John Hughes, an un unbelievable writer, has this knack for basically remembering what it's like to be young, to be in high school, or to be a kid. And he really makes the audience, whether you're in the theater or watching at home, really connect 
with the kids on camera and the things they're going through because they do a great job not just making a kids movie but make them deal with legitimate themes which this film has this has important themes about family and the importance of family and staying together which we'll get into in a little bit but just to stay on harry potter for a little bit i see like a lot of similarities between home alone and harry potter specifically the music to these films could kind of be swapped mm -hmm. it's very close and very similar not obviously it's john williams did both and these are two of his best scores i think but they both have this very like magical fairy tale element to them and you can even like get hints of like what would be the harry potter hedwig theme in the home alone score if you listen to it specifically the the parts where he's setting up the booby traps yeah part of that i think is because he used a lot of the same instruments for both of these films and they have this magical fantastical quality to them and we can we we have to thank Chris Columbus for making this movie because if he didn't make this movie, he didn't get John Williams to do the music. Maybe we didn't have John Williams making the music for Harry Potter. So nope. yeah, or Chris Columbus probably doesn't even make Harry Potter because that's what I'm saying. This was yeah, so successful. So I mean, maybe that would have never happened. Yeah, so and we, three other. Yeah. So thanks to Home Alone, we can thank for, we can thank him for Harry Potter. And then three more things. There's this long shot of the street with all the street lamps, which is just like the beginning of Sorcerer's <laughs> Stone. And then um, I swear to God, there's a Weasley in the McAllister family. It looks just like a Weasley. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a shot. And there's there's a quick scene in Home Alone. When Harry and Marv are just like getting beat up by uh, by Kevin, mm -hmm. and um, Marv looks to to Harry and he goes, "Harry!" And then Harry just goes, "Shut up!" And then in Chamber of Secrets, Ron, when they're in the spider's nest of Aragog's webs and everything, he looks to Harry, goes, "Harry!" And then Harry goes, "Shush!" So it's kind of like <laughs> I think like a calling card back to Home Alone for oh, Chris Columbus. That definitely could be for sure. And you can argue that Prisoner of Azkaban is the best Harry Potter film, but they wouldn't have been able to make such a, a drastic change to the tone, and Quaron couldn't have made such a a dark and visually stunning movie if it wasn't for Chris Columbus's talent to make two great family-friendly movies that really any kind of audience can enjoy in the first two Harry Potter films. So he shows his skill once again with this movie. The concept of this movie, it's so great. It's kind of genius. The title's genius. Um, the script, it's, it's very sharply written. It's very witty and funny. The acting's very good. We got Joe Pesci. Um, this year, just like with Will Ferrell with, with Old School and Elf, Joe Pesci came out with Home Alone and Goodfellas in the same year. Whoa, the same year. You're yeah, right, 90. 1990. He actually filmed Goodfellas in the spring and summer of 1989. Then he filmed Home Alone in the winter and early spring of 1990. So he filmed these back to back. And you can tell, I'm sure, that he had just a blast doing Home Alone because, you know, Goodfellas is a very intense movie. It's very dark and I'm sure it's intense to be an actor on that set, but then it feels like for me, every time I watch it, he's just having so much fun on Home Alone despite being like hit in the face and having spiders and tarantulas all over him. The reason for that is because this film has a lot of filmmaking similar to the silent film era where you have filmmakers like Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton who are using a lot of slapstick physical humor and physical comedy to tell their stories. And they went, they use a lot of physical humor in this film in terms of the booby traps and and I think Joe Pesci and um, Daniel Stern, who who play Harry and Marv, uh, they act in a, such a funny way. It reminds me of silent film stars, the way they would act whenever something physical would happen to them. So it felt like a blend of silent film comedies with uh, modern contemporary comedies. And Kevin, he's such a great character. He's very relatable for, again, kids who are youngest in the family or have big families and don't get a ton of attention or, or get bullied in their families. He's innocent. He's funny. He's clever. He's genuine. Uh, you can tell he has a rough time fitting in with everybody being the youngest son and he's often overlooked and blamed for everything that goes wrong in the, in the house and but when he's on his own he's living like a king and he obviously does all those simple pleasures that kids do of just living it up but his family is horrible to him in this movie the, the parents are terrible they they barely give him any attention they lock him in the freaking attic like what the they heck? They didn't even do anything that bad. And then they forget about him up there. What? Because of the cheese pizza. Which, if you if you think about it, Buzz was the one who ordered the pizza, so he messed up on the cheese pizza. Mm, that's true. And it's just because the power went out that they started the day late, and so they were in a rush. And I mean, it makes sense. I mean, people say it's far fetched, but being in a big family, if there's a chaotic situation, someone it's it seems feasible that someone could get left behind, just like him. Yeah, but he does make that wish that his family disappears, and he thinks it came true because he's so sick of his family. He's running around the house. He's like, "This house is so full of people," and and then he says that that hilarious line. He's like, "When I grow up and get married, I'm gonna live alone." And so <laughs> he just wants to be on his own because he can't take the hassle that his family brings on him. And ironically, even though he wishes for them to disappear, it's towards the end of the film. He really truly misses them, and he learns to appreciate his family being gone that he actually wishes for them back. 
obviously his family can't contact him because the phones aren't working. So even though his mother's trying um, her best to get across the country, it doesn't seem like she's going to make it anytime soon. And this film is just filled with so many iconic scenes and iconic moments. And you have like him using uh, the the things in his house to, to trick Marvin Harry that there are people dancing inside the house with the shadows on the curtains. And then you have all the booby traps that he sets up. And then you have the, the aftershave lotion burn where he screams, probably the most iconic shot of the movie. And then you have that the old film they film within a film with the uh, two gangsters talking these like you filthy animal merry christmas you filthy animal in terms of booby traps like the, some of the best ones are when uh he lights harry on fire or he smashes him in the face with a paint can i like down the the back steps when he heats the the doorknob yeah and he also has the uh the slipper was he put water on the steps yeah he freeze, freezes, he, the, freezes the the ground yeah and again this this movie is about it's really about the importance of family in your life, and, and you don't always have to like each other, but it's important to be together and supporting one another, and especially with the neighbor, the old man Marley, who obviously they all think is a serial killer because they're kids and they make up ridiculous rumors, and he has that creepy look all the time, even though he's going up the street and like shoveling and everything. But for him especially, it's about not giving up on your family, and despite having that falling out that he has with his with his son now he hasn't the only time he sees his granddaughter is at church watching her sing in the choir and he kind of develops that little relationship with with kevin and kevin begins to not be afraid of him anymore and he actually uh old man marley's the one who saves the day for kevin at the end of the film after marv and harry get the one up on him and he says something like families love each other deep down even though they sometimes forget about it which is it's a really important thing to a message to get across especially the kids that character actually wasn't in the script and when chris columbus signed on he wrote that character and that little storyline into the film because that is essentially the heart of the movie is uh, never is not giving up on your family and, and cherishing your family robert de niro was originally offered the role of harry but he turned it down and ironically joe pesci is the one who ended up acting in the role. And Joe Pesci couldn't help himself from swearing so much. And then Chris Columbus suggested he, rather than say the F word, you say fridge instead. And I love how, I think it was last year, Macaulay Culkin did that Hey Google commercial mm-hmm. where they recreated a bunch of the scenes for this movie. And it's just it's just hysterical because Macaulay Culkin, you can tell, you know, he had some, he had solid talent when he was a kid. He's a good child actor, a lot of potential, but obviously he had that, that dark path that he went down and, Unfortunately, his career, you know, just it just kind of stopped at that point. But um, obviously, he's been milking all that that Home Alone money for Getting sure. Those royalties, man. Royalty money, and so he's obviously, I think he's clean nowadays. But it was so fun to see him in that commercial, knowing his past. And I think I saw him on Joe Rogan podcast, and that really like changed my perspective on him because he actually seems he seems like a genuine guy who just you know got in with the wrong crowd. And you know, what would you do if you were the biggest star in the world at age eleven? And had a ton of money. I'm sure you'd make some bad decisions yourself. Yeah, everyone wants to be your friend. And he got typecast. I mean, he couldn't, if he auditioned for roles, you couldn't imagine him as like a leading man in a drama. It'd be a little strange because he has been typecast as Kevin from Home Alone in a way. So I don't think he'll ever be able to escape that. Unfortunately, like all great Hollywood films and franchises of the past, this movie is being remade for the next holiday holiday season. It's starring one of the kids from Jojo Rabbit, the the kid, the dark haired kid with the glasses. I think. Oh, the friend. Yeah, and um, you know, you would wish that mainstream Hollywood could come up with their own ideas instead of just recycling the same thing over and over again. So we will be plagued with a new Home Alone franchise rebooted next year. I'm pretty sure. So get ready for that. It's probably going to be mediocre at best. Who's going to be the dad? Ed Helms or like I don't know. <laughs> Imagine if Joe Pesci is the bandit again. <laughs> He's way too old. <laughs> I think Home Alone might be my favorite Christmas movie. It, it really just brings back a ton of nostalgia for me. It's hysterical. I love it. And again, very relatable for me coming from a big family. Yeah, I remember seeing the VHS in my hands when I was a little kid and getting so excited to watch it. And it's become a tradition. And I, I don't think we do it every year, but I think we try to watch this most years um, within the first within a few days of Christmas. Oh, we're definitely going to probably this week or next week for sure. Oh, hell yeah. Next up, we have How the Grinch Stole Christmas, which came out on November 17th, 2000. Directed by Ron Howard, written by Jeffrey Price and Peter Seaman. The film stars Jim Carrey, Taylor Momsen, Jeffrey Tambor, Christine Baranski, and Bill Irwin. This film grossed $345 million on a budget of $123 million. In this live-action adaptation of the beloved children's tale by Dr. Seuss, the reclusive Green Grinch, played by Jim Carrey, decides to ruin Christmas for the cheery citizens of Whoville. Reluctantly joined by his hapless dog, Max, the Grinch comes down from his mountaintop home and sneaks into town to swipe everything holiday-related from the Who's. 
Obviously, the cartoon version from 1966 is iconic, and that's a perfect Christmas film. Audiences were were nothing but curious, and I was as a kid, when the news of the live-action one came out, because I loved the Grinch cartoon so much, and we watched it every year when it was on TV for Christmas time. And um, it was going into development, obviously starring the incomparable Jim Carrey, who, you know, 2000, the guy is still on top of the world, coming off his, his massive decade of the 90s. And outside of Robin Williams in his prime, I don't think there's another actor that could have pulled off the Grinch so effectively. Maybe I think Eddie Murphy and Jack Nicholson were tied to act at some point in the film. But, Tom Hanks, too. Yeah, but, I mean, Jim Carrey, again, he's the most talented comedic actor since Charlie Chaplin because not only just his his comedic jokes and, and timing, but also his ability to just morph his face and his body and contort in all sorts of ways. And he probably worked harder on this role than any actor's ever worked on a role before because of what he's doing with his body in every single shot, every single scene, let alone the makeup that he had put on. So he has this incredible ability to manipulate his face. He has full control over everything that he can do. And this is what gives that that magical quality to the Grinch, the character. Whenever I watch this movie, I just am amazed at the amount of energy Jim Carrey has because... When you're making a movie, these are 12-hour days, and he's spending so much time putting makeup on, and he's covered in latex and the the, the big suit and, and all this hair, and yet he still is putting in 110% for every moment of this movie. And, and the movie only works because of how much he, how great he is, how funny he is, how much energy he has, his improvisation, and he injects that Jim Carrey humor and tone into the role. And you can tell there's so much, there's so many jokes and, there's so many moments in this movie that that he came up with on the spot and they filmed and obviously weren't written because he's such a genius that I'm sure they just let him go with whatever he wants to do and he he just puts out all of his ideas. He spent 92 days in Grinch makeup, spending two hours in the morning getting in and one hour in the evening getting out. Even though he almost quit during production of the film due to the intense discomfort of the suit and all the special effects makeup and the three and a half hour daily appliance removal the colored contacts, like look at his eyes. The, the contacts that he's wearing in this film are pretty heavy duty. I'm sure those were uncomfortable as hell to wear for so many hours every day. For three months. Yeah, and uh, he almost quit because of all this. And according to him, he eventually taught himself to become the Zen master while sitting in the makeup chair. And in addition, Kerry had a profit-sharing contract that entitled him to a percentage of box office revenue. For example, for the wrench, he got paid $35 million in total. And for Yes Man, Carrie declined to take any money up front and instead negotiated 36% profit sharing arrangement. So he's he makes a lot of money off box office hits. 36%? Wow, that's crazy. And also to deal with the makeup, uh, the studio hired a, a former CIA agent who taught Jim Carrey torture-resistant techniques so that he could deal with being in the makeup in that suit uh, for hours on end each day. And the thing with this movie is it has a bit of a weird tone, but I think it's a lot of fun. And, I mean, Dr. Seuss's movies are just strange. And, I mean, there's no really traditional way to film his his kind of stories. And critics weren't really big fans of this movie when it came out, but kids loved it. I know I loved it. And I know our niece loved it when she uh, was a toddler and a young kid. And she obsessed over it where she had us watch this movie with her pretty much every day for two months straight yeah i think one of the main goals that ron howard and the screenwriters were trying to accomplish was bring sympathy for the grinch and so we can understand how the grinch became the grinch because we know that he started off as a who or what he refers to himself in the film as a what and what what led him to hate christmas and despise it so much and despise the the people of whoville and I wish they delivered a little more on this. I mean, we obviously got some origin story for, of him, a little more backstory. But I think the Grinch origins. <laughs> I think the main weakness of the film is there's too much time spent on the Grinch always being mean and angry. And also, I find a lot of the Who people to be a little uninteresting. There's not a lot of character development in Whoville besides besides Cindy. I don't really like any of the Who people. They all seem very conceited and and materialistic and selfish and i'm not really into any i mean cindy's it and cindy doesn't even have that much character build build up in the film either so i think they if they focused a little more on storylines in whoville and a little more backstory on the grinch i think it would have been a much better storyline yeah i I agree i'm not sure i i found it super important to find out why the grinch hates christmas because we grow up knowing he hates it so we don't need to be told why but i understand why they wanted to to explore that and it is a it's a pretty sad story and, and essentially the Grinch uh hates Christmas because he he never fit in with the others and and he's always been an outcast and an outsider and he he's always been different 
and that's the driving force between his hate and his and his disgust for the holiday. And it's a, it's a sad story that uh, he he was driven to this point because uh, his inability to fit in. Yeah, he lives in in a cave on a garbage mountain, just brooding in his hate and remembering all those old wounds from his childhood and and everything that happened to him in the film with the clippers and in the classroom, which is actually a very funny scene with the book and then yeah, yeah. the boots in the way. And <laughs> the poor kid, you, you can't help but feel horrible for the Grinch when he's a little kid and what happened to him. And then you understand what, what caused him to become the Grinch after that. And th- this movie has so much great improvisational humor in it from Carrie, like, one of my favorites is when Cindy thanks him for saving her, and he just stops and slams his hand on the glass and just slides it down. Dude, I, that's my favorite part. I wrote that down. <laughs> it saved is, you. Saved you. And his answering machine says, I'll hunt you down and gut you like a pig. Oh, yeah, sounds normal. <laughs> it's like 6.30, dinner with myself. I can't cancel that again. <laughs> Wallow in self-pity. <laughs> and then when he's trying to scare Cindy Lou Who when she, when she comes to his mountain, and he's like trying to scare her, and then there's a, he, it cuts to him trying to rip a t-shirt off of his body with his bare hands. <laughs> <laughs> and so there are just moments that are just laugh out loud in this movie. And you, he just brings so much to the role. And like all, I just don't understand how he has this, like it, this he's like the energizer bunny of of actors like he just never quits i feel i feel like mixed feelings about the who's in this film because i don't i'm not a huge fan of the design especially like their noses i think it looks a little too odd and uh, i understand they obviously trying to recreate the look in in the film but i think it would have just worked better if they just made them just normal people yeah just look like humans just look like humans because otherwise they look a little odd and even when i was a kid i, I was like a little put off by it and a little that, that could probably be why you can't relate to them as well as you want to but they're all horrible people in this movie really yeah, except for cindy yeah they're all self centered well they and it's so, the end yeah well the problem is they are flawed people because they view christmas as a time where you give presents in and it's put up decorations, and it's become materialistic. And then Cindy reminds everybody, including the Grinch, that uh, Christmas is much more than than superficial, materialistic goods. And it's about family and love, and uh, and being kind to one another. She transforms the entire town. They were looking to cast this movie. The casting director went to the set of The Man on the Moon, in which Jim Carrey was was playing the lead, and. Jim Carrey was was methodly acting as Andy Kaufman all day and night. He never took a break as Andy Kaufman, and he was fully in character like Daniel Day-Lewis style. And when the producer met him to have him do an impression of the Grinch and see what he would be like as the Grinch, uh, Jim Carrey was still in character as Andy Kaufman, so he had to be—he was in character as Andy Kaufman who pretended to be Jim Carrey pretending to be the Grinch and did an impression of the Grinch. All in all, How the Grinch Stole Christmas is a great Christmas movie. One of my favorite to watch around the Christmas season, holiday season. So obviously I'm sure people listening and watching are fans of it as well. The next film in the episode is The Nightmare Before Christmas, released on October 29th, 1993. Directed by Henry Selig. Screenplay by Tim Burton, who did the stories and characters, Michael McDowell, and Caroline Thompson. This film stars Danny Elfman, Chris Sarandon, Catherine O'Hara, and Ken Page. This film had a budget of $18 million and a worldwide box office of $91 million. Jack Skellington, the mayor of Halloween Town, seeks more than the routine of scaring people in the real world. After stumbling upon Christmas Town, with all of its spirited, brightly colored community, Jack struggles to bring that same cheer back to his own town. This is uh, the most unique Christmas movie, I think, and people have a debate, is it a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie? And I think 100% this is a Christmas movie. I think it's uh, an incredible artistic endeavor and a great feat of animation. I think it's a little bit of both. Obviously, you, it was released on the 29th, right before Halloween, so I'm, I'm sure they did that on purpose. And obviously, it has Christmas in the title, but also has Nightmare in the title. And, you know, Halloween Town, Christmas Town, but also references a bunch of, of other holidays as well, too, in the film. But I, I obviously view it more as a Christmas movie, which is why we put it on this list. But I, I think the clever thing about this story is they capitalized on two of the major holidays annually in in uh in modern countries in modern in the modern world with Halloween and Christmas. There's a common misconception about this movie, and people think that Tim Burton was the director of the film, but that's not actually true. Tim Burton uh, came up with the idea for the story. He originally wrote it as a poem back when he was doing. He was an, just an animator at Disney, and he wrote a ton of short stories and poems. And this was a poem that he wrote. And he met with the director, Henry Selleck, 
who loved the story and the ideas and he wanted to make it as a directorial effort by him as a stop motion feature and Tim Burton was uh, loved the idea and they they tried to get it made at Disney for a few years it didn't it wasn't really working out uh, and then Tim Burton made it hit it big with Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhand Edward Scissorhands and so he had a lot of clout behind him as a filmmaker and he this allowed Disney to give them the green light to make the Nightmare Before Christmas and so Tim Burton worked out the story and Henry Selick wrote the script and directed the the film over a period of three years. Tim Burton wasn't on set. Oh, he wasn't there. He, he he visited set five times over two years. And so, yes, it says Tim Burton's A Nightmare Before Christmas in the title. It is his story, and it's his concept. And he did help come up with the character designs and the overall story, but he didn't actually direct the film. Tim Burton was actually, they just bring that up as an old animator. He was with those original Pixar animators that were in, this, in that classroom, that infamous classroom, and, mm-hmm. and they were all working together. So he's part of that crew of the the founders of Pixar. So he's with the, he was in that class. Yeah, with uh, John Lasseter, Andrew Stanton, and all those guys. Yeah, at, Cal, at Cal Arts, yeah. which is actually a really cool fact. And I love this movie. It's so fun and creative. And I watch it every single year. I even watch it on Halloween every year almost, too. And it has some of the best voice acting I've still ever heard in a— animated film and obviously this is stop motion which is obviously why the budget is so low but it's why it's also a 76 minute movie because usually stop motion films aren't that long i think fantastic mr fox is around that same runtime too and it's a, it's a it's quite the endeavor to make a stop motion film and this is one of the best I ever made for sure and danny elfman he did the music for this film he's a fantastic composer he works so well with tim burton they kind of have very similar visions in terms of how characters sounds and and their themes and the overall mood of the film. Yeah, his and, music perfectly works with Tim Burton's movies. And he actually does all the singing of Jack Skellington in this film, so the guy's got some pipes. Yeah, he actually tried to do the voice recordings for the dialogue scenes, but it didn't work out so well, so they got an actual actor to voice his dialogue. This story, just like a lot of uh, Tim Burton's films that he's directed and stories he's come up with, it, he has this adaptability to take us out of our world and bring us something new and extraordinary. Um, hardly anything this movie looks like it belongs to the world we're familiar with which is why it's so magical and so him and director Henry Selick just did a phenomenal job of just getting us out of our comfort zone and and taking a spin and putting a new spin on holidays and putting a new spin on the holiday genre in general yeah and it's so great to see a holiday film for kids with a such a dark tone and macabre style and with really intense sometimes images of horror and gore and and just strange things and Disney is actually the producing company of this film but they found that it was a little too dark for their brand and they didn't want to affect their image at all so they actually released this film under one of their umbrella companies Touchstone Pictures which they owned that way they could still release the movie and make the profits but it would be under Touchstone Pictures not Disney but since the movie became such a cult sensation and a, a beloved classic over the past uh, two decades. Now Disney is proud of the movie, and that's why now you'll see the Disney uh, name on top of the poster. All they care about is image, man. <laughs> Which is interesting because Jack Skellington's probably the most interesting Disney character probably ever. I mean, he's up there in the ranks, and yeah, he's just complex when it comes to Disney characters, mainly because in this film he's both the villain and the hero, hero of the movie, you know. Jack is bored with Halloween. He's tired of the same old year over and over again. He's he's tired of scaring people. He wants to get out of the dark and creepy world he lives in, and he's kind of lost his way despite being the pumpkin king and, you know, the most prominent figure in Halloween Town. And that's when he discovers Christmas Town that he falls in love with that holiday. He sees the colors and the lights and the and the cheer and the joy, and he wants to move up and be in charge of a more important holiday now where people actually take it seriously rather than just one day a year and and so he engineers this diabolical scheme to to kidnap Santa Claus and take over how and take over Christmas, which he does. Obviously, it's it's a horrible thing to do to kidnap somebody, but he does it with genuine intentions because he actually wants to bring joy to to children and to the world. But he doesn't understand that he's the pumpkin king, and that's going to affect the way he does this. He's he's lost his love for his surroundings and for for who he is and for his environment, and that's why he wants to change and do something new. The problem with that is that he doesn't understand Christmas because he just take, he looks at it on the surface, uh, he, and when he sees Christmas Town, he's like, okay, Christmas involves decorations and, and presents and toys and lights, and so he tries to do the same thing in Halloween Town, and he's not understanding that it's not about 
that stuff. It's about uh, the meaning behind the holiday itself, just like in Grinch, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Exactly. What you're talking about. And he doesn't understand that they have the same meaning in Halloween Town for Halloween. It's just the love of the holiday of the season and it, the, it, how it brings the community together and, and, and brings love among all the people, their shared joy of the experience. And that's what he finally understands by the end of the film that they don't, they're not meant to celebrate Christmas. They have their own Christmas. It's Halloween. Yeah. Jack's trying to be something that he's not. Jack mm-hmm. is not meant to be anything but the pumpkin King in the leader of Halloween, which he is great at. And again, and it's not until he tries to do Christmas and tries to take it over in the third act, but he eventually realizes that he's destroyed the holiday and he's he's brought terror to all these kids and all these households and <laughs> he's brought monsters into their homes and and he generally again he generally tries his best to be Santa Claus, but he should realize that the act of kidnapping Santa Claus means that you literally have no idea what the the spirit of Christmas means mm-hmm. because that's a horrible crime to do. But he does transform and gains an understanding that allows him to accept who he truly is, the Pumpkin King, which he then promises to bring the best Halloween ever the next year round. And this gives him more energy for the role and because and, he understands and accepts who he is, which is one of the main messages of the film that it's, it's okay to to be yourself and accept who you and accept yourself for who you are, no matter what you think you want to be or what you think you're supposed to be, it's okay to accept yourself for who you are. Exactly. That's the main theme. And this film has, uh, it was one of the most terrifying villains for me as a kid growing up i was terrified of mr boogie the oogie boogie oogie boogie and i was just like always disturbed by him and whenever his scenes came up i was always like very scared and filled with anxiety whenever he was on screen but i think he's a he's a great villain he's a lot of fun and he adds a lot of color to the movie and and he's got a great song too yeah we have a little very cute and, and great love story between jack skellington and sally and sally's this humanoid ragdoll that dr frankenstein created finkelstein finkelstein oh sorry that Dr. Finkelstein created. She's made of various pieces stitched together, stuffed with dead leaves. And she's clearly in love with Jack, but she doesn't know how to express it to him. And he's obviously distracted with Christmas Town and taking over the holiday. And he, she's in heavy control of her of her creator, Dr. Finkelstein, and technically her father. And she's always trying to kill him. Yeah, she's always trying to escape and kill him. And she has no freedom. And she she does have that have that great escape where she jumps off the building and she just sews herself back together, which is actually pretty cool. This is a pretty weird abusive relationship in the film. <laughs> he's clearly a kidnapped, and he's clearly holding her hostage, which is pretty messed up. Yeah, and then Finkelstein ends up making a, a female version of himself to replace her, which is even more weird. But it, it takes Jack to un, to accept who he is and and to embrace himself as Jack the Pumpkin King to finally understand and recognize uh, that Sally has always loved him in that he loves her and that's how they uh, begin their relationship and their their courtship. And it's also important for Sally not to give up on Jack because she obviously helps liberate Santa Claus from the Oogie Boogie with that, that leg that she uses as a distraction. <laughs> um, then Jack comes and, and beats the Boogie Oogie. And that's kind of what gets Jack back to Halloween Town, back to where he's supposed to be with Sally and promises the next great Halloween. And they have that very touching kiss on top of that curling cliff. Again, this is a, a visually stunning movie. Uh, nothing had ever been made like it before. The Tim Burton stamp is on this film. He didn't make it, but it has his his style and his tone on it. And Henry Selleck ended up making a lot more uh, stop-motion films like uh, Coraline and, and Corpse Bride and, and James and the Giant Peach. So he's made some of the best stop-motion films of all time. Next up, we have Bad Santa, which came out in 2003, directed by Terry Zwigwolf, written by Glenn Ficarra and John Requa. The film stars Billy Bob Thornton, Tony Cox, Brett Kelly, and Lauren Graham. This film grossed $76 million on a budget of $23 million. A miserable con man and thief and his partner pose as Santa and his little helper to rob department stores on Christmas Eve. But they run into problems when the con man befriends the troubled kid. I love this movie because as a kid, I always wondered what those mall Santas were up to outside of their jobs when they're off (laughs) off duty. And and Billy Bob Thornton is absolutely hysterical in this movie. It's one of my favorite roles he's ever done. He plays uh, Willie, who's highly depressed and alcoholic. He's a thief. He's lost in his life. He has no purpose besides drinking, stealing, and sleeping around with women. And 
it's just it's just so fun and it's vulgar and dirty. It's rated R. It's it's an R rated hollow. Uh, it's an R rated Christmas movie, and I love it. Yeah, it's a raunchy comedy for adults. And I, we were watching this movie when we were definitely not eighteen years old. Definitely so, not. No. Yeah, we were watching this when we were a little too young. But I think this movie is absolutely hysterical, and Billy Bob is so funny, and it's just like that. It's if you blend the the comedy of something like old school. And, and put it into a Christmas movie, and it works so well. And I, it can be offensive for people, but if you just understand what you're getting into when you watch this movie, just just lay back and let it let it entertain you. It's a lot of fun. I'm sure Billy Bob like had some hesitations to play this role because this could have probably been a career killer because he's a, he's a very good actor. Yeah, and he's been in some great movies. And then it's like be this dirty ass alcoholic Santa Claus in this radar <laughs> movie. Let's see what happens. But you know what? I'm sure I, he knocked it out of the park and. It actually, I think, boosted his career even more. And the, the thing with this movie is it's heavy on insult humor, where characters are just insulting each other constantly. You couldn't make this today. And there's so many so many swears and F-bombs, and it's just great. Like, him and Marcus just going at it and going back and forth with their insults, it just cracks me up. And there are just some incredibly hilarious lines in this movie. Yeah, Tony Clark, very good, good actor in this movie, he plays Willie's partner and Santa's elf and their team. But he's fed up with Willie, whose instability is affecting their jobs. And and Willie and Marcus have have the same mo. They they use their Santa gig to get into the malls, and and they play this act until they can stay after closing and crack the safes of the malls. And unfortunately, at this mall that they're at, they have uh, the security chief played by Bernie Mac, Jin, who's like on to them and and suspect suspects them and. I mean, Bernie Mac is maybe the best part of this film because he's such a scene stealer. Every time he's on camera, he just mm-hmm. bl- he blows it up every scene, and it's a damn shame that he passed away so young because he's such a talented guy and he's so funny. He's so confident on camera, um, charismatic as hell. But I mean, if he was smoking cigarettes like he was in this movie in real life, then I mean, it makes sense, and kids shouldn't smoke. Yeah, absolutely. And one, I think my favorite character in this movie is Thurman, the little kid. Because he's so he's so naive and innocent, and he 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 has like an intense devotion towards Willie in this movie because he thinks he really is Santa Claus, and he he's just like a little he's a little out there, so he he believes everything that that Willie tells him, and he's always saying this like, "Can I fix you some sandwiches?" Because <laughs> it's what his grandmother says, "Can I fix you some sandwiches?" And Willie's like, "Enough with the goddamn sandwiches! What's up with you? And fix the goddamn sandwiches!" <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's funny and it's a cute relationship because they both need each other. Willie and, and the kid Thurman, they need each other to grow his characters and become better people. The kid humanizes Willie and helps him appreciate life, whereas Willie instills confidence in Thurman and also becomes a father figure to the kid because his, his father's not there. Yeah, and at the end, he sacrifices himself to, to bring the, the stuffed elephant to Thurman because it was Thurman's wish for Christmas to have a little pink elephant doll. And he literally gets shot in the back a dozen times in order to bring the, the elephant to his doorstep. And so he fi- his relationship with Thurman, like you said, humanizes him and he ends up sacrificing himself and doing something selfless to to bring joy to someone else's life. And I think one of my favorite parts of the movie is where Willie beats up his bully. <laughs> he beats the crap out of him. He's a kid. He's like a teenager. Yeah, he's like 15. And then he's talking to Marcus in, in their changing room. He's like, I beat up some kids today, but I did it for a purpose. It made me feel good about myself. <laughs> it's like one of the funniest lines I've ever heard. Marcus is like, you really need to see someone. He's like, he's like you need many years of therapy. Many, many years of therapy. It's just, it's just like this every scene is like that. It's hysterical. I love when he opens his car when, when uh, Marcus is... Wa- is a rail on him and he opens his car like a dozen bottles of empty alcohol just fall onto the concrete <laughs> he drives away this film it's just the antithesis of a Christmas movie or a typical holiday Christmas movie but that's why I love it so much it's so fun and different that's why it's so relatable and hysterical because the juxtaposition of the, the purest most innocent and lovable father figure-ish character in Santa Claus He's played by an alcoholic, sex-addicted, loser, scumbag thief. And it's just a great contrast. In the burglary at the end of the film, it goes wrong after multiple backstabbings where Marcus turns on Willie and he, he wants to kill him, but the cops come. And then and Marcus gets arrested, but Willie gets away enough in time, like you said earlier, to bring the pink elephant to Thurman, which is all he wanted for Christmas while getting shot in the back. And the, he, 
he extends that bloody pink elephant towards the house, which is actually a very emotional and moving scene because, again, this is where Willie, he finds redemption and he eventually gets cleared of all the robbery charges because it looks bad for a cop to shoot a Santa Claus <laughs> in the back. Yeah, and then in the letter to the kid, he says that uh, he's been ha- hired as a sensitivity counselor for the police force. <laughs> It's just I mean, we're cracking up right now. <laughs> just talking about it. It's it's a, such a funny movie. Yeah, this is a hysterical movie. If if you don't like cussing, don't watch it, and don't let your kids watch this movie. <laughs> <for> sure. <laughs> if you're under eighteen, don't you can't watch this movie. But if you're over, if you haven't seen it, you're gonna watch this movie. It's so funny. <laughs> Next up, we have a Christmas story, which came out in 1983 and was directed by Bob Clark, written by Gene Shepard, Lee Brown, and Bob Clark. In the 1940s, a young boy named Ralphie attempts to convince his parents, his teacher, and Santa that a Red Ryder BB gun really is the perfect Christmas gift. This film grossed $20 million on a budget of $3 million. A Christmas Story is one of the most watched Christmas movies every year. It has been for for literally decades. It's an annual tradition for families all over the world. Um, In my opinion, it's a little overrated probably but it's still a great watch around the holiday season it's got an interesting structure of you know voiceover narrations of vignettes and basically like little little stories of of ralphie as an adult telling the story of him i think he's nine years old in this movie or something like that Mm -hmm. and uh this one christmas where where all he wanted for christmas this one year was this red rider carbine 200 shot range model air rifle um he's constantly told throughout the story which is like a running joke that he'll shoot his eye out this this film has a ton of iconic you know, moments in imagery like the father's his father's lamp with the the woman's leg is probably one of the most iconic props in movie history, hands down. Until his wife accidentally breaks it, and the funny but the famous bunny outfit scene. Yeah, and this film it's it's kind of like a time vault or a time machine. It's a perfect representation of of what life was like growing up in the forties and how to relate to people back then. And you know the. The dogs running down the streets with no no leashes or anything. The Ovaltine, the cowboy shows, parents washing your mouths out with soap, literally, which, you know, might have happened in our household a couple times. I was terrified of that happening. <laughs> that was what we were always threatened with. It's really about things that we go through as kids. You know, we have the school bullies. We have uh, brothers who we're, we're outgrowing our clothes. And there's that funny scene with the brother who's outgrown his snowsuit. We have those aunts and uncles who treat us like little kids because we're the youngest in the family. And yeah, this movie is essentially just a series of memories that it's not, there isn't an overarching plot to the film per se, but it's a, a series of little short stories that pretty much show what that year in the holiday season was like for Ralphie as a kid. And then, you know, Ralphie inevitably gets his, his Red Rider gun and, he doesn't think he gets it on Christmas morning at first because he opens up all of his presents and he's kind of just lost his his hope for getting the gun. And then his father surprises him with that large, that long red box that he opens up and it's got his rifle with the BBs. And it's funny because he, he goes outside and, and shoots the shoots the rifle and it bounces him, hits him in the cheek. And he thinks he shot his eye out, but he really didn't. Breaks his glasses. Yeah, though. but he, uh, he steps on his glasses and breaks them. Yeah, and he, you know, he go, the film ends with him going to sleep and with his rifle and I think a lot of people they're not super satisfied with the conclusion of this film or or again the the, the whole entire storyline but again like you just said it's, it's really a series of memories which it doesn't have to have like this crazy climactic moment but really the climax is him getting the red rider rifle the final film in the episode is the santa claus released in 1994 directed by john pasquin written by leo benvenuti and steve rudnick this film stars tim allen wendy crusen eric lloyd judge reynold and David Krumholtz. This film had a budget of $22 million and had a worldwide box office of $190 million. On Christmas Eve, Scott Calvin, a successful ordinary businessman, accidentally makes Santa fall off his roof. To his surprise, he finds himself transforming into Santa Claus himself after he puts on the iconic Santa suit. With the unstoppable transformation happening, Scott must connect to his Christmas spirit. As a kid, I really adored this movie, and that's what the movie's for. It's for kids, and it's for families to watch, and uh, I, I I remember every time I put this on, I really enjoyed it, and I watched it uh, recently, and it was it still holds up, and I think it's an an excellent Christmas movie, and it's a lot of fun, and, and I mean just the title is fun, it's a it's a pun. Yeah, Tim Allen was such a force in the '90s, man, and his this movie is again one of my favorite hol- holiday movies as a kid because it just seemed plausible to me. 
Plus, we never really got a good Santa origin story, like Claus origin story. Claus origin. <laughs> so this is like a great explanation of like how Santa is created or like in the film, obviously Santa Claus is apparently a job that's passed on to, by person to person. And Tim Allen at this point in his career was obviously at his peak. He's just coming off home improvement. I think that was like season two or three. So he was on fire with, with TV audiences and he was, he was a national star. And so with Toy Story, yeah. Toy Story too. So this was a great film for him. And he plays a great character of he's this divorced dad. He's this divorcee with a son, but he's also a very successful uh, businessman, salesman. At, Scott doesn't realize this, but he's the perfect choice for Santa Claus. He's, he already works for a toy company. He has uh, his sales abilities are the best in the office. I think he wins a special award too. He's charming, but he's also a little arrogant, which I think maybe Santa Claus might have to be to be able to pull off delivering presents to an entire planet. Also, his initials are SC. Scott Calvin, so he's he, the pajamas are perfect for him, the SC pajamas, and I think this is a uh, this is a really uh, fun and cute story where uh, Charlie and Scott go on this adventure, which is probably every kid's dream to to literally deliver the toys with the reindeer on Christmas Eve. Yeah, it's so funny. He just walks out in his boots and underwear, and the Santa Claus falls down and dies right in front. He of him. accidentally kills Santa Claus because he shouts out at the guy thinking it's like a burglar or something, and it scares Santa, and he falls down. And yeah. dies. <laughs> he disappears. He disappears like a Jedi. <laughs> I am one with the Force. <laughs> and so it's it's a super fun sequence after that where he's in his underwear, he's got the Santa Claus jacket on, the pants, and then him and his son Charlie just like deliver presents like because i love how the the reindeer go to the next house he's like i think we're supposed to like deliver presents over here <laughs> <laughs> and at the end and after they deliver some presents the the sled and the reindeer take him back to the north pole and they find out that you know this santa claus is real despite what charlie's uh stepfather tells him and uh, un, unlike other hollywood movies where we get like a crappy stepfather he's a generally a nice guy he's just you know he's 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 a psychiatrist too so he's kind of like Making the six-year-old not believe in Santa Claus, which is pretty messed up. Yeah, but Tim, but um, Scott's trying to keep that that spirit alive with him, and then they find out that there's really a North Pole and Santa Claus is real, and then uh, the, the elf uh, played by Brumholtz is Bernard. Is Bernard, he's actually he's a really funny character in this film too, and he, he basically they he teaches them all about Santa Claus, and he's like, you better get your affairs in order because you put on the jacket, which means you're part of the contract, which means you're going to be Santa Claus next year. So get everything in order, uh, pay off your mortgage, uh, get rid of your credit card <laughs> debt. Because it's pretty messed up. <laughs> it's like your life's over, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you got to do. <laughs> Time passes, and Scott thinks it was just a crazy dream, and even though Charlie remembers it, he keeps telling Charlie that it wasn't really, uh, he dreamed it too, so it didn't really happen. But strange things keep happening to Scott, and some of the some of the best parts of the movie are like when he just keeps gaining weight and he can't shed it off, and then he's also his hair's turning white every day, and he gets this crazy beard that he no matter how many times he shaves it, it keeps growing back. His doctor says he's healthy as a horse, and then the problem with the, the his appearance changing is he has no control over it, and the problem with that is that his ex wife and her in in the psychiatrist they think that he's doing it on purpose as a ploy to get Charlie to love him more, and that causes them to to file an order with the judge to uh, prevent him from visiting Charlie anymore. It's actually a pretty heartbreaking moment. But then Scott realizes that he's Santa Claus now, and he has to come to terms with that, and he has to accept who he is. And the great thing about, I think, Charlie in this film, he's, he's one of my favorite characters because I know he doesn't get to see his father a lot, and his parents are going, have gone through this divorce, and he doesn't get to live with his father as much as he wants to, but... When I think a lot of kids or a lot of characters or child characters in films in this kind of situation would be sad that he doesn't get to see his dad so often. Charlie's sad about it, but he understands that Christmas is bigger than him or his father. And he understands that he has to let his father become Santa Claus. And he's one of the main driving forces in Scott becoming Santa Claus and accepting Santa Claus in his life. He's a wise kid. He is a wise kid. And also, like, so many times in movies with divorced kids, they're always, like, so sad and they, they hate their lives, but like we were divor we were kids of divorce, and I mean, yeah, it was sad, but we weren't like constantly upset about it. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think it's more natural for. I mean, kids kids are generally happy for the most part, no matter what. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure Charlie thinks he's probably gonna get the dopest presents because <laughs> his dad's Santa Claus. <laughs> That's like way better than having a dad on your baseball coach getting like a cool bat or something. Like my dad's Santa Claus, I'm getting like a four wheeler kid. <laughs> yeah, this movie's really cute, and I think it's a lot of fun. And it's a it's a great movie for for families to watch together. Thanks so much for tuning into our Christmas episode. 
of Raiders of Lost Podcast, episode 43. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave, our, leave a five-star review if you can. Enter that contest by leaving a written five-star review on iTunes and using the hashtag I love movies in your written review. Tell everyone why you love our show and what your favorite things about it so that you can be a guest on the show. Support us on Patreon Monthly, and thank you so much for tuning in. Happy holidays, everyone.